podcast fans, for the first time ever, we are reposting an episode. So today's episode is episode 69 originally with the great Phil Martelli. Now, there are several reasons that we are posting this episode again, but mostly it's because we realize that seasons are ending all around the country right now for a variety of reasons. And this episode just does a wonderful job of getting back to the heart of the game Coach Martelli's heart really shines through in this one, and we just wanted to share it with you again. And also, it's been one of our most listened to episodes over the course of the last year in this podcast. So we wanted to share it again, episode 69, The Great Phil Martelli. And if you haven't already, please visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Check out all the great content that Coach Steve Collins has at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. And be sure to check out the Competitive Mindset Podcast with the great Billy Kegler, a former guest on the Greatest Games Podcast. Available everywhere podcasts are found and on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. The chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a high school coach, a JV coach. It could be their time as the AP Naismith, Henry Iba, Jim Phelan, Adolph Rupp, and NABC Coach of the Year. Just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. That is the greatest intro of all times there, Chris Palazzo. Not going to take away from that. Coach, we are going to Ann Arbor, Michigan, the associate head coach at the University of Michigan, Phil Martelli. Welcome to the Greatest Games podcast. Well, I appreciate the invitation, fellas, and uh, I can feel it. I'm, I'm talking to basketball guys, so uh, <laughs> you're not media guys. You're basketball guys. Oh, we are basketball That's junkies. beautiful thing. Coach, that's a lot of hardware in one year. I was looking at that. AP, Naismith, Iba, Phelan, Rupp, and NABC Coach of the Year. Yeah, but I don't know if I got the best coach in my family that year. I'll have to go back and check my records. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, we'll talk. We'll probably wind up talking about that year, 2004, and some of your other uh, coaching. So why don't you uh, just take the listeners through your coaching career and how you got to where you are now there at Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, I, I, uh, I actually got smitten by basketball and coaching basketball at a very young age, probably in the, in the ninth grade. And I would go back and coach younger kids and coach in the summer leagues uh, while playing myself and, and um, uh, having a really uh, successful high school career and then uh, Division three at Widener. But I, will, I was always enamored with coaching because when I was very young, I saw how three guys, three neighborhood guys could uh, rally a group of young people for a common goal and uh, the pursuit of championships. So it was just, it was in me and this, and this game captured me because I believed that it was the greatest societal experiment and certainly an experiment that we could use in today's world because basketball doesn't, doesn't matter if you're black or white, doesn't matter if you're from Jersey or or, or South Carolina or in Ann Arbor, Michigan or Philadelphia. It's a game where you show up and they ask you to dribble, pass, shoot, compete. Uh, and all the way through, I had this plan that I wanted to be uh, a really good high school teacher and a high school coach. 
So right out of college, I got a JV coaching job at Cardinal O'Hara High School outside of Philadelphia. Uh, a year later, I went back to my alma mater, Widener University, a Division III program. Uh, we played for the national championship in that year in 1977. And then I was fortunate enough to get a head coaching job in, in really the mecca for me of high school basketball, which would have been the Philadelphia Catholic League. I was 23 years old. I thought I had it made, to be honest with you. I thought I knew everything there was to know. And um, I know later we're going to talk about games, but I have this vision because the coach that I played against or competed against in my first high school game just passed away. And uh, I remember that game. And uh, we went scoreless for the first 10 minutes of the game. So we did not score. I'm sorry, first 12 minutes. We didn't score in the first quarter. We didn't score until halfway through the second quarter. And I can remember thinking, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. And, uh, uh, and that was, that was um, uh, unfortunate. And I've apologized to the guys that I coached that year because I let the title get ahead of the preparation. Uh, and that never happened a a after uh, that moment in time. I left B uh, Bishop Kenrick High School in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and uh, I went to St. Joseph's. And I was the restricted earnings, right when the restricted earnings people were, were suing. Uh, I was coach, uh, I'm sorry, I was teaching at a reform school and then going down to St. Joseph's in the afternoons. Uh, after one year of that, I was asked to be a full-time assistant at St. Joseph's under Jim Boyle. Uh, I stayed on, on with John Griffin after that. And then uh, I got the head coaching job and was able to hold on to that for, for 24 years and create a lot of memories uh, and, and deal with a lot of great people, not just players. And uh, that's a big deal with me. There's never a former player. You're always a player. And um, to have had that opportunity in the city where I grew up, to be able to go on the floor at the Palestra. Um, and then I wanted to expand, to be honest with you. I wanted to expand. I, I, I got involved with USA Basketball. Uh, I was an assistant coach on the World University Games. And um, we had a player that, Going in, no one had ever heard of, and coming out, no one will ever forget, and that was Wally Zerbiak. Uh, Elton Brand was on that team. Uh, I then had an opportunity with USA Basketball to go to Japan with Jim Beheim. We won a, a, we won a world championship under 20. We had uh, Jameer Nelson and Karan Butler uh, – and being with Jim Beheim, who has become a very, very close friend of mine, was an experience that I'll never forget. And then I was a head coach for USA Basketball. And I wanted to see if the things that I was doing made sense in terms of how I organized and not the X's and O's, but, but, but the relationships. And uh, I coached J.J. Redick. Uh, I, I've often said to J.J., I'm the only guy that coached him whether it was in college or in the NBA, where he ever missed three-point shots. I've never seen him miss a shot. And, and for me, all summer, he couldn't make a shot. Uh, and J.J., in his way, every time I would see him when he was with the Philadelphia 76ers, would say, I think it was your fault, Coach. And I would, I'll say, yes, I believe that, J.J. 
So uh, uh, when the abrupt ending happened at St. Joseph's, I told people that I wanted to, to stay in the game. Uh, I talked to people in the media, talked to people in the NBA. I talked to people, NBA International. But I thought the place to be was a locker room where I could lift up kids on a tough night and hug them in, in euphoria uh, and pursue a national championship. And uh, John Calipari, John Calipari called me one day and said, Jawan Howard is on the brink of getting this Michigan job. It'd be a perfect place. And I thought, here it is, a first year coach. I can bring, not my X's and O's, but I can bring my experiences around what I believe coaching is, which is relationships. And uh, I can have an impact. And you can go to Michigan where the person in charge of phones handles phones and the person in charge of IT handles IT. And you are there to recruit and to coach. And 17 months later, uh, I miss Philadelphia terribly. I miss my family terribly. But uh, to be here with, with Juwan Howard and Howard Isley and Saudi Washington, and the people that that uh, support and follow the Michigan program has been um, very uplifting for me. That's amazing. It's an amazing journey, Coach, and, and the USA basketball stuff is fascinating, but you sort of said it when, when you talked about getting the job with Michigan and with a first-year coach like Juwan Howard, who had some experience as an assistant in the NBA, but really his first, and to take over his alma mater in such a big program and being a veteran assistant, how important do you think that is? I see a lot of times when these younger coaches get a job and they put together a staff of all young people. And I'm like, you need, you, you got to have an old vet on there. You got to have a guy who's been a head coach and been through the wars. How does that relationship work with you and coach Howard? Do, does he come to you and say, coach, I, I just don't know about this. What do you think about it? Or do you, do you suggest to him some of the experiences that you have? It, that's an interesting question, Chris, because it has evolved. I'm, I know last summer I was kind of, I was like more a fly on the wall because I didn't know all the terminology. Howard Isley and Juwan Howard brought an NBA terminology. Uh, Saudi Washington brought a knowledge of Michigan. And I was kind of lurking. And interestingly enough, uh, uh, Juwan and I think purposely delivered a message to a media friend of mine. And when uh, asked what I could bring to him, Juwan said, I hope that coach uses his voice. And so that was a signal to me that I didn't have to hold back. And ever since then, uh, being honest with you, I've been heard I don't have to be listened to on everything. I'm not right on everything, but I knew, do know that I can be heard on, on length of practice, on particular drills, on uh, uh, scouting reports, even if it wasn't my scout. So uh, I didn't come here to be a cheerleader. I didn't come here to, to be put on a pedestal. I, I came here to get my hands dirty and putting it very bluntly to win a national championship. And nothing that has happened over these 17 months has diminished that. I noticed this year that there's a, there's a lot more interaction and there's a lot more 
whether it's one-on-one or in a group say, well, coach, what do you think? And not just the beauty here is not just what do I think about zone offense, but what do I think and what am I hearing because I've stayed involved with the National Association of Basketball Coaches, what's going on? You know, what, what, wh- where are we going? You know, uh, what does this mean that, that transfers are going to be immediately eligible? What's it mean to our game? Uh, what's it mean for an additional year? Uh, so I, I, uh, I, take a, I take a great deal of pride in the profession and I also take a tremendous sense of responsibility on my role here at the University of Michigan. Coach, you took me back with your opening answer about your resume and where you've been. Like, I, <laughs> I was six years old out in my backyard shooting hoops, hearing you talk about relationships, what the game meant, the purity of the game. Very, very powerful for me to hear that. And through all that, you said nothing about winning. You said nothing, obviously super successful wins and losses. I'm a huge relationships guy. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, I'm a high school athletic director in South Carolina. Talk to my coaches all the time. Like, yes, we're going to train our kids to compete. We're going to teach the game, but what are we doing for our kids right here and right now to train them as people? And And so I just heard all of that. You didn't say a lot of that, but I heard all of that deep into your answer. And so, my question really is, how does that happen for a high-level Division One college basketball coach like yourself to be have to have sustained success and to still make it about the relationships? How does the winning take care of itself for you? Well, uh, I think that you have to you have to have uh, uh, value-driven. Uh, I had an extraordinary opportunity today and I know you're not posting today, but on this day that we are, we're working on this. uh, I had a chance to talk to a player of mine in Germany. He just had felt the need to talk and, and called and was telling me about his team and now they're in quarantine and kind of what else. And, And he paid me the greatest compliment because this young guy is, uh, is an artist. He's also a cook. And I said, you know, the beauty was I never thought of you as a basketball player uh, while you were with me. And that has extended. You're not a professional basketball player. That's what you do. That's not who you are. And I prided myself on uh, making sure that I could touch each and every uh, person in the program. I wanted the managers to know that they were appreciated and that they were respected. We all know that coaches get this coach and you get this respect. What would you do to earn that? And my question to all young coaches out there and, and veteran coaches, are you giving that respect? People are watching how you're treating others. And at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm a guy who was very, very fortunate to coach basketball at the highest levels, but I'm this guy. Like I, I believe passionately in crushing cancer. I believe passionately in, in, uh, in real relationships. So real relationships mean that you're sitting in a locker room and the kid in front of you can tell you about his teammates father on his right 
or his his teammate's sister on his left. If you can't have that, if you don't have that, then it's not a real relationship. And I and I've I have um, I believe that that success follows where the culture is rock solid. Uh, so I was a guy that didn't have a lot of rules. Here's one rule, be on time. Being on time is the ultimate sign of respect to another person. Because if I'm late, if I say practice starts at three o'clock and I start practice at 3.15, my 15 minutes are more important than yours. That's not, that's not healthy. It's just not healthy. So how could I hold that kid responsible when the bus leaves at seven o'clock and he shows up at 10 after seven and says, well, that's the way we do things. It's, it's a, it's a house of cards at that point. And uh, I believe that at the core to develop, to develop real relationships, you have to be willing to communicate. And when we communicate and we're losing this with our young people, you guys are in high school, so you, 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 know, you know where I'm going. We've, we, we have a younger generation that does not listen because we haven't demanded that they listen. They are preparing their answer as you are making a correction. They're preparing that. Or they're ready to grab a phone and hit you up. Oh, no, no, no. I communicated with you. I remember, here's my text. That's not communicating. So, so real relationships are based on honest communication, honest communication that I'm listening to you and I'm talking with you, not at you. Coach, I want to bottle up that answer and I want to share it with the world, that entire answer, because you're what you were talking about with lateness. I always say that when you're late, you're just telling the other person what I was doing was more important. And you said it that way. It's so, so true. And then talking about communication and, and being on time, uh, you have my ultimate respect. Brian and I texted earlier today and said, we've got coach Martelli tonight. You know, uh, we, you nowadays people just text back and forth, email back and forth so many times to confirm, confirm, reconfirm, reconfirm, reconfirm. You said you would be available at seven 30 tonight, seven 29, you logged on and you were there. So, I mean, that to me, that's all I need to know about you. And, and we were here. I hope you feel the same way about us. We were here ready to go. So, and that says a lot about uh, all of us, I hope. <laughs> um, well, it, means, it, means it, it means a great deal. And, and um, uh, I'll only take you back 24 hours uh, ago when, when I had a, a 7.30 call last night, Zoom call, and I am uh, – I'm going to call myself technologically naive. Um, uh, and when I flipped my laptop and uh, I couldn't make the connection and I'm looking around and my daughter, the youngest of three was at home in Philadelphia. And I called her and she's telling me to check the modem and check the, <laughs> and I said, can I connect by my phone? She said, connect by your phone and we'll work it out later. So uh, <laughs> believe me. I, I, I had a sigh of relief and my prayers were answered that at 729, I could log on with you. <laughs> well, you could have fooled us. You were right here, ready to go and notes ready to go. And I, I know that we, 
we probably gave you a headache as you mentioned uh this is a this is a tough question uh but at this point in the show we'd love to hear about your greatest game we won't pigeonhole you into one coach because i know you've been a, wow. part of a lot of great ones so tell us about your greatest game your greatest games take us into the arenas let's just really feel your greatest games because you guys are so into hoop i have to give you two stories before I get into anything that has to do with coaching a game. <laughs> in the Philadelphia spectrum, I was a first year, uh, co- was I, I was maybe even an assistant coach. I was in the building on the Christian Leitner to Grand Hill Pass. Yeah, so you were an assistant coach. I, I, <laughs> I, I was at that game with my sons. I don't even know how old they could be. Uh, could have been at the time. And I remember turning to he, my one son might have been eight at the time. And I said, remember this forever. Cause this is one of the, this is one of those, those uh, uh, great games. And the other thing, and, and the, the uh, uh, I believe it was in South Carolina in 1973, the spring of 1973, Three friends of mine pulled up to a traffic light. There was only one traffic light on our college campus. And I said to them, hey, where are you guys going? They said, we're going to the East Regionals. And I said, hold on. I went upstairs. I threw stuff. I didn't have a suitcase. I threw stuff in a brown bag. And I got in the car. And we drove to South Carolina to see the, the, the East Regional with Providence, Maryland, Penn, and Syracuse. All right. So, so at Penn, now Bradley was gone from Penn. Ernie D was at uh, Providence, right? And that's the reason I went. That's Ernie D. Gregorio. Ernie D. <laughs> we walked up to the window. We bought. We we drove through the night. We stayed at colleges on our way. We, we had no money. We were, it was fifteen dollars to see the East Regionals. Maryland had John Lucas as a freshman, my high school teammate, Mo Howard, Tom McMillan, Len Elmore. Uh, uh, Lenny Elmore, that's right. And it was coached by the great uh, Lefty Drizel. Right, right. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, oh, Syracuse had Roosevelt Bowie. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the other. I'm trying oh. to check this. It was in Charlotte, it looks like, Coach. Okay. Might have been in Charlotte, North Carolina. We uh, and on the way home, here's this is a really, on the way home, we literally had no more money. We had no money left, <laughs> and we were driving somewhere through Virginia, and we came up with this brilliant idea. Let's go to a local police station and ask them if we could sleep in a cell. We <laughs> <laughs> want to keep driving. <laughs> And of course, because I had a tendency to run at the mouth, they said, go in and ask. And I walked in and I said, sir, can we, uh, can we sleep in the cell? And the guy told me very politely, you know, where I could sleep, but it wasn't going to be in a cell. <laughs> uh, and we kept driving and, and we got back to school. But in thinking about your question about Wait, games. Coach, sorry, I just want to interrupt you one quick second to, to piggyback on this story. The coaches you saw that in that regional were Lefty Drizel at Maryland, Chuck Daly at Penn, and Dave Gavitt at Providence. Wow. How about that? 
<laughs> and Beheim. Well, Beheim was, was an assistant. Oh, okay. Roy Danforth was the head coach. I'm Roy looking at it right here. It's oh, a great God. thing about the internet. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the games that popped to me uh, were were things that had surroundings. Obviously, people would say championship games and um, – and uh, we lost the championship game in Cincinnati against Xavier, coached by Sean Miller. And I had a I had an unbelievable team. It was it was in 05. Uh, we had struggled out of the gates, uh, coming off the great year of 0304, and uh, we played for the championship in Cincinnati and and we were we were moving along we were really we were really in a good spot and uh I didn't trust the defense on the very last play of the game and we had been switching everything out of bounds and I didn't trust it and I went straight man to man and they back cut us and we had a foul and the, and the kid uh Justin Dolmo from Xavier uh uh made the free throws and we lost that game and we we, we went to the NIT Xavier went with Sean Miller, by the way, as the coach. That game has stayed with me uh, uh, because I do really feel that I cost I cost my team a championship uh, by not trusting. And I I would be with them all year about trusted, 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 and I didn't at the last uh, at the last moment. Uh, and then I think the other one would be a. Uh, a series of games in 0304 when we were, you know, the toast of the nation really. And uh, in a 10 day period and being Philadelphia, this was a big deal in a 10 day period. We played at Villanova. We played LaSalle at the Palestra and we played Temple at the Palestra. And uh, I remember coming out and every game that I came out for at the Palestra, I got chills because I thought of all the guys that have walked the sideline and I was just trying to represent all the excellence that they stood for. And I came out at the palestra and the lower level, there was no walkways. There were so many people at the game. Uh, but I assumed that the fire marshal from Philadelphia was not there because he would have <laughs> shut the thing down. There was no walkways. He, he, he probably couldn't get in. Right. And I thought, I thought, uh, th this is, this is really, uh, th this is uh, bigger than big. So uh, as much as games, you know, bring, bring all of us chills, it's players. Uh, it, it, I heard John Cheney speak at his retirement when he retired and he said, it's always about the faces. And I didn't quite understand it at the time. But now when I thought back with this, this unbelievable question from you guys, and I thought it is about the faces. It's about, you know, a five foot six uh, senior in high school who I cut as a sophomore because he was too small. And there he was as a senior uh, and he was all leg. And he played in the palestra in which is the ultimate for a high school kid in Philadelphia to play in those championships. I, I think of, of uh, you know, Jameer Nelson, and I think of Delonte West. And, and, but I also think about 
about the walk-ons who, who just wanted to wear the uniform and then getting a chance to be in a game. Uh, that, that's all the things that flood my, my, my memory is not, oh yeah, I remember when we, we did this or, or, or I tried that. And I mean, I had a chance to coach against Don Haskins, right? So, and I know looking at my players, they had no idea about Texas Western. <laughs> I did. And to ha have that opportunity uh, to go to Gonzaga in, in the, not the new building, not this modern building, but, but we played them in, in what they affectionately called the kennel. The kennel. Yeah. Uh, you know, not coaching against, but, but being on the same sideline as Rick Pitino. And I always said about that game, Rick Pitino's suit cost more than my whole wardrobe at that time. Uh, so it, it's, it's those faces, those, and even, even the successes, to be honest with you, I always did it for the faces. You know, when, when somebody would see a pumping gas or stopping at a dry cleaner or, or at church, and you could just see in their face uh, how happy they were. That, that, that's what leads me to believe that uh, the greatest game that I'll be involved in is still out there because there's more smiles to create and there's more memories to create. That's a, uh... <laughs> Wow, that's a great answer. Brian, I'm going to quick jump in and just tell a quick story. Coach, I worked at the University of Kentucky for one year with the video department and then South Carolina for nine years. And uh, three days before Coach Odom resigned, was working for him. And I remember being in the locker room. We were at Arkansas. And he looked at me and he said, Blas, he said, how many of these college games you've been involved in? And I said, I don't know, maybe 300. And I just remember him, he looked, you say his face, I remember the look on his face, like he kind of gave a smirk and said, I've been involved in a lot more than that. <laughs> you know, but I think you're right. It's those memories more than the game. I don't know what happened in that game. I have no idea. But I remember that interaction in the locker room with him. Now, I think that um, all of us that coach, uh, there's two, two moments that we do live for. And I alluded to it as to why I came to Michigan. Because you want to be in a locker room, you want to pick a kid up who's missed a free throw. And you want to make him believe that this is not the worst thing that will ever happen to you. And if it is the worst thing that ever happened to you, you live a blessed life. And then I want to be, I want to be in that locker room where I say to somebody, come on, here's the scissors. Let's go get your piece to the net. That's, it's not just, it's not just that night. It's just not Tuesday night on the road and the bus trip back. It's, uh, it's, it could be a memory for a lifetime. And man, I want to be there for those. Coach, you're doing it again. I'm, I'm going back to my high school days as a player and coaches being able to cut down nets and handing us the scissors. It's just like you say, those memories. And, and I know I mentioned in pre-show that I had a conversation with coach Martin the other day and he talked about his time at Kansas state and, you know, obviously he's here in South Carolina now and, and 
but at Kansas State, just the the fans around the program, they'd have fundraiser golf tournaments and dinners and all that. And it, it everything just meant so much to the fans. We had uh, Coach Greg Lansing on the other night um, from, from Indiana State, and it's the same thing. And I've been around that program in Terre Haute. I mean, there is just a, a crew of folks that just – they live and die by Indiana State basketball. And, they, and, and Coach even said it on the air. He said, I want them to be upset when we lose, and I want them to be excited when we win because this is their program. And so you're just you're just taking me back to, to me, the golden age of basketball, which still obviously exists, but where basketball really means something. It's not about making money. It's not about getting seen and, and getting signed here, this shoe deal here. It's just about the game. And like you say, picking a kid up when they screw something up and saying, hey, go get them again. Go get them again. Like, and what else is there, really? You know, I, I often thought about that when we were recruiting. Uh, you know, when when the whole we would all migrate to Las Vegas for us for almost a week in the summer, and we'd be riding around and and uh, look. To be honest with you, complaining. Oh, I can't believe how hot it is. I I I I can't believe this gym is forty minutes from here. And then as you're riding down the highway and you look. And there's like six guys up on a roof, you know, tarring or, or shingles. You think they care? Do they, do they care if you wear Nike? No. They're up there for their family, man. Let's respect that. Let's respect that. And, and, and let's always promote the profession and the game. And we have gotten away from that. We have, we have Brian, it, it, it has gotten into – well, my shoe deal or my length of my contract or, or my clothing. De- Come on. This is a, this, this is a game that we love. Let's pass that love on to these players and let's make sure that they love it for the right reasons. Not because they're the 13th best player in America or the 13th best player on your team. It's a beautiful game and it is the greatest societal experiment. Coach, I like the way I'm curious. Like, I, I really, and I, I don't know if we can fix it here tonight, but I know that we can, we can do our part. Uh, how do we get back to those days? You know, again, this, the, the, I call it the golden age, which I, still, I do still believe exists a, a little bit and maybe a lot bit, but what can we do as in, in our listeners to this show, uh, me as an AD, Blas as a high school coach, what, what can we do to get this back to giving back to the game, giving back? Well, I, I think that we do it one, one person at a time. And, and let, let's, let's come like this. Let's come like a fist. Because right now, at times in their game, we're like an open hand. And anybody that's ever gotten into a tussle never hurt anybody with an open hand. But when you close, let's close ranks. Quit talking about each other. Quit moaning about each other. It's not a level playing field. Never has been a level playing field. But at the end of the day, let's pursue love of the game. Not what the game can provide, but let's provide love of this game. And if we can get one young guy or one young lady, I I don't mean it. Let's, Let's do it a person at a time. I love that coach. I love that. Um, 
yeah, I just, I know, I know I've heard coach Krzyzewski talk about it, about trying to get someone in charge of college basketball on the NCAA level and just deal with the issues in the sport of basketball. And I know he's big in trying to promote that, but coach, we'd like to end here on a fun question. Okay. If I asked uh, Pat Carroll or Jameer Nelson or one of those guys that played for you back in the day, or uh, and I asked for one of the kids that played for you, plays for you at Michigan right now, when they're doing their coach Phil Martelli impression, because they all have one, they what is the one phrase they repeat or they say that you repeat over and over again? Well, my guys at St. Joe's would all will, will use the word babe. I would use the word babe. Yo, babe, yo, babe, yo, 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 babe. Uh, and, and here in Ann Arbor, and, and I can't believe this, Chris, and you, and you need to back me up. They will tell me that I mispronounced the word water. It's water, okay? <laughs> and and uh, last year, I would be, we, we would, before we would break for our water break, we would shoot our foul shots, and I was the foul shooting guru, supposedly, uh, and I said, all right, get some water. And every kid would like turn. <laughs> they pretend like they didn't know what that was. And uh, I can't, I can't, I can't have that. Uh, uh, I can't have that anymore. But, but uh, yeah, those would be, that, those would be, uh, yeah, my guys would. Come <laughs> Coach, a couple of years ago, my niece was about seven years old and, and she said mom can I get some water and I was like oh you are from Jersey did you hear how you just said that <laughs> I swear I said a water up until about age 11 and then for some reason I, I switched to water I have no idea but uh, here, here today I'm going to switch back to water just just for this show here um uh, Coach, I've got another question, and I, and I know I mentioned it in pre-show chatting, but uh, again, uh, Coach Martin has come up a couple of times here, episode 47 of, the, of this podcast, but he said to tell you hello, and he also said to ask you on his behalf, hey, what happened to the Phillies this year? Oh. <laughs> Heartbroken. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way, even though we weren't allowed to recruit, I was definitely going to go home. I was going to watch the – I was going to watch the – playoffs uh because that's my thing like don't tell the people in philadelphia but football to me can come and go uh but the phillies ever since 1964 when they fell apart and i walked to the airport to meet them when they came back uh <laughs> 10 years old walking to the airport uh pitching pitch but but i will say this some of the expectation uh, for the lineup. Uh, McCutcheon was coming back from uh, ACL. Uh, Kingry, I thought, would explode onto the scene. Uh, Bryce Harper went through a miserable, miserable slump. You know, one of the best players in the game. And H Haskins didn't come out of, of last year, but the bullpen was. Uh, yeah, the bullpen blew more games this year for the Phillies. Yeah, they were they they were statistically uh, one of the worst bullpens in the history of the game. So, <laughs> but uh, hope springs eternal. <laughs> it was really funny, Coach. Just briefly before we end, it's coaches. Whatever sport they coach, they have another sport that they love watching more. 
I think it's because, you know, you, you're around basketball so much. You have another sport that's like an escape. There are some football coaches that love watching basketball and basketball coaches. We, we had a guy that we worked with Rick Duckett and oh, yeah, I know Rick. Yeah. All, Cowboys football is the only thing coach Duckett wanted to ever talk about. I don't think he watched another basketball game. Once the season, he was focused on cowboy football. That was, <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you this one. We, we went, um, I had been to one college football game in my life. I saw Temple and Penn State play in 1975. It was actually my first date with my wife. We've now been married 44 years. Uh, it was in Franklin Field. And uh, so last year I was like, this is unbelievable. The big house and football and real tailgating and, and stuff I didn't really experience. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really that hepped up. I just wanted to go to a game to see what this experience would be like. Well, the defense went on the field, and Jawan Howard, this ultra-successful basketball guy, was absolutely like a student, fanning <laughs> and screaming for the defense. And I would go every, every game, every home game, I went to watch him talk to the defense. And our seats are right there. I mean, the defense could hear him. And, and – uh, the Michigan football and the bears for him. And uh, there's not too many Sundays. You can even pick up the phone and call him if the bears are on TV. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Coach. Um, I, I tell you, I, I, you have helped me in just in the 45 minutes that I've gotten to talk to you. Um, light that, that fire in me as, as a coach, even though I'm not technically coaching, I'm coaching coaches now, yeah, you are. Uh, just realizing what we're doing. Um, that, that just, it's about relationships and it just, we just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people outside of just uh, us me and Chris with this episode. Just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. And if I could just deliver a message to all of our coaches and to you two guys, your, your young guys and, uh, the young people that are in our lives need us today more than ever. With social unrest, with all the other madness that's going on, a pandemic, keep an eye on everybody. Just please keep an eye and, keep, and take care of yourselves too. Uh, and even those coaches that are you know, on your staff, we all, we all need somebody just to, maybe it's just a simple sentence, simple question, how you doing today? And if, if we can do that for these kids, they need us. Please be safe. And I, I'm honored to have spent some time with you guys. Thank you for the invitation. Coach, it's, it's, it's been awesome. We'll go ahead and, and wrap this one up. Again, thank you so much. But for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>